This week, I had an epiphany. How many of you sometimes just something comes to your head and, and you've never had it before and a light bulb goes on? Have you ever had that moment, right? And this epiphany humbled me. Have you ever been humbled? Okay. Have you been humbled? If you haven't been humbled, you will because that's part of life, right? Failing is part of life. And when we fail, we are humble sometimes. I've always thought that I was a pretty good counselor. You know, I've done a lot of counseling in my work for many, many years now. When I got to the Air Force, I realized that that was going to be the majority of my work, that probably I was going to counsel 80% of the time. Sometimes on deployments, I would have people in line all day long, and I would counsel 12 hours a day. So I did a lot of counseling, and, and when I first started, I thought I was pretty smart, and I would give a lot of advice. And I realized that that was not good, because often it would backfire on me. And then one day, something really interesting happened, and that is, I listened. <laughs> I listened. And I only listened. I didn't talk at all. And when the counseling session was done, they told me I was the best counselor they had ever had. And I thought to myself, wow, to be the best counselor in the world, all I have to do is shut up. All I have to do is be quiet. Wow, that was an epiphany in my life and at that moment. And so for years, I have been listening, and a lot of you who know me go, come on, you listen? You're always talking. But when I counsel, I realize that if I listen, it really helps the other person. They usually figure out what they need to do by just having someone hear them. But this week was different, and I'll tell you why. Because I talked with two people that were dealing with relationships. And, you know, when someone is broken... I feel that because of EQ, I don't, I don't think I have a very high IQ, but I feel like I have a good EQ. I feel that when someone is broken, that I run to that. I actually follow someone that's broken. That's why when the ER calls, I go as the chaplain to the ER. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that run to people that are crying instead of running away from them when they're crying. And, you know, I, these, I had two experiences this week. One was very similar to the next. And I really felt that I had done a great job. And then the epiphany was the humbling moment when I realized I didn't do so great, even though I thought I had. Because, see, when they told me about their pain, then I shared with them the word of God. And I shared a text like this one, Jeremiah 30, 17, that says, the Lord will restore you to hell, he will heal your wounds, and he will take care of you. And then I thought of Jeremiah 29, 11, for the Lord has great plans for you, a great what? A great future, not to hurt you. So that was pretty good. But when I shared it with these two people, they both said the same thing. And that is, those are only words. Those are only words. Wow. I thought I was a pretty good counselor. I thought I was giving them 
healing words from the word of God. Then I realized, and here's the epiphany, here's the light bulb that went on. That only when you go through something can you really help someone that's going through the same thing. Does that make sense? So, I'll pick on someone here that I picked on you earlier. I hope, Rick, I know you're so sweet, you're not going to get upset at me. But I have gone to the ER when a little boy has choked to death. I have been there when a young man has choked, uh, has hung himself. I've been there when a young girl that's eighth grade hung herself. And I, there is nothing I can say. I can't read them a scripture sh- that moment. Because there's nothing that I can do to heal their pain and their anguish at that moment. All I can do is cry with them. And I thought, you know what, that's pretty good. But my brother here, who has lost a child in a plane crash, who has lost grandchildren, knows their pain in a way that I could never, never get close to. Does that make sense? So someone that is going through a divorce or has gone through a divorce and knows the pain and the hurt can help someone else that knows the pain and hurt. Does that make sense? Okay. Now I get to tell you something, share with you that is magnificent. Jesus knows our every hurt and our every pain. Think about that for a second. Jesus understands the little girl that's been raped, that's been trafficked. Why? Because he knows what it's like to deserve something or to get something you never deserved. Does that make sense? He knows that pain. Does he know what it's like to be hungry? He went 30 days without eating. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. That's why he said, I am the what? I am the bread of life for the hunger and I am the water of life. See, because Jesus knows our every pain. He understands because he's been in our moccasins. The the book of Hebrews says that he's he's interceding for us because he has met every temptation. He has done dealt with every temptation that we have, okay? So, what am I trying to tell you this morning? That if you're going through a great struggle, it could be for the very reason that you could help someone else. And I was humbled this week. I'm gonna share, my sermon is on the foot washing story. It's found in the Desire of Ages, chapter 71 as well, as far, and it's also found in John chapter 11, 13, and we're going to look at that this morning. So open your Bibles to John chapter 13. Um, I think the Holy Spirit led me to this sermon because of the fact that we had foot washing last week. Richard, you were trying to tell your son what it was all about. And so I think the Holy Spirit has chosen this message this morning, found in the Desire of Ages. And I'm going to share with you that if you want to go back and read this story in chapter 71, that my sermon comes right out of it. 
There's nothing that I'm sharing that is new, nothing that I'm sharing that, is, that I think is going to blow your mind because all I'm sharing with you is the Desire of Ages, chapter 71. And it's an incredible, incredible chapter. And so before we open up our Bibles and we start reading in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, let's pray. Let's pray. Because whether we want it or not today, we need to be humbled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, on this glorious Sabbath day, some of us have have had a really tough week. Some of us are living quiet lives of desperation. Father, what all of us want is peace. We want peace. We want that kingdom of peace to come into our hearts. And then more than anything, I know that as a, as, a, as a person right here standing before you, I want Jesus to come. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13. And since I'm old, I'm going to have to... I forgot my reading glasses, all right? Let's see. Let's see if I can... Let's see if I can... Oh, no. I got to do this. That's way too hard. Okay? Chapter 13. Okay? And if I... Stumble over something, just read along with me, all right? It was just before the what? Passover Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his what? Of his love. So think about it this morning. Jesus is going to show the full extent of his what? Love. Oh, I love love. Love, love, love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to what? To betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Just think about this. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He was going to the cross, but he had all the power not to go. Think about that for a moment. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Think about that. King of kings, the one that spoke, and there were bears. The one that spoke, and there was a lion. The one that spoke, and there was the sun. Now he's on his knees. Think about that. Think Donald Trump would be there? Don't answer that. Because that could get us all in a war. Okay? Do you think Kim Jong-un would be there? Do you think Putin would be there? Think about that for a second. The king of kings is on his knees. He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So Peter's absolutely what? Confused. He doesn't understand why Jesus is on his knees. And we'll get to that in my sermon. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Who's playing the boss here? Peter's playing the boss. No, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Who's the boss? Jesus is the boss. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet. Did you see what happened? 
Peter always gives in to Jesus. He surrenders all the time to Jesus. That's a big truth there. Just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Judas, right? For he knew who was going to portray him. And, he, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Can you imagine what they were thinking? The disciples. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and I rightly am that, for that is what I am. Now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash what? So did we do that last week? That's pretty amazing, wasn't it? I got to wash my son's feet. I love those feet. They're beautiful. His feet are beautiful. You might think they're ugly, but my son's feet are beautiful. Why? Because he's my son. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I like that about the messenger is not greater than the one that sent. There is no minister greater than Jesus. No one. Okay? So here we go. The disciples had been with Jesus for three and a half years. Think about that. Three and a half years. They knew him intimately. They had walked with him. They had been by the fire with him. They had talked with him. They knew that Jesus was perfect. Can you imagine men around a campfire, 12 men around a campfire with one guy? What would that conversation be like sometimes? Think about that. I think about what I hear and what I see when even when I'm at the golf course. But they knew that Jesus was special because why? He didn't talk about others. He didn't have a foul mouth. He wasn't talking about women. Do you, under, do you get the point? So for three years, they were with him. Three and a half years, he had directed their every step. Jesus had tried to help them see the future, the big picture, but they weren't mature enough. All they could see was what? Right here. Do you remember when you were 19, 18, 17? Do you, know, do you remember how much you saw in front of you? Maybe some of you were already old souls, but I saw right here at the moment. Everything was at the moment. And I still struggled to only see, to see the big picture instead of just the moment. My son, I have two of them. They're great. My son here is five. He was five going on 50. Serious. Knew what he wanted in life. My Marky is still struggling because he sees right here. He's trying to figure it out. What's he going to do in the future? And most of us just see right here. We are a big part of a big movement called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, I got news for you, sees the big picture more than any church there is. Yeah, you heard me down there. (laughs) Right? We see that the Sabbath is special. Why? Because it has to do with choice. We also see that Jesus is coming soon. No one's preaching it like we are. No one. Big picture. 
And Jesus was upset with them because this is all they could see right here. I've given a great illustration as a pastor. I wish I had it today. I'll offer a child $1 that day or 20 bucks the next Sabbath. Guess which one they take every time? The $1. I could give them 1000 and they take the $1 because they can have it right now. Right? And we're the same way. The disciples were sure Christ was about to take his throne. Why were they sure about this? Because they had just come into the city that, that week. They had heard the Hosannas. They had just the week before had seen Lazarus come out of the tomb. They were excited. The people were excited. The people weren't afraid of the Pharisees anymore. Did you get that? They weren't living in fear anymore. Because Jesus had stood up to the Pharisees. He had rebuked them. He had shouted at them. He had told them, hey, not with me, brother. And so the whole country, the whole nation of Israel was excited because they knew. They knew that Jesus was there to set up his kingdom. The disciples knew it too. And what had they fought about the week before? What had they fought about? Who was the greatest one? Remember John and Jane's mother came and said, Hey, can my sons be right there with you in the kingdom? Can they rule with you? And Jesus had to put her in a place really nice, really gentle. But here's what they're thinking. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. They're seeing right here. You know what? He had told them over and over that he was going to die. Did you know that? He told them that. You know, uh, Thomas was so scared about going back to Jerusalem that when he heard about Lazarus being sick, he didn't want to go. He's like, I don't want to go there. You know, they're going to kill you over there. They're going to kill you. Remember that? So they're thinking he's going to either set up his kingdom or we're going to all be killed because we're going to fight for this thing. And here's Jesus. He's trying to have them see the big picture. Okay. So, Jesus had shown his authority all through the week. He had gone toe-to-toe with the leaders of Israel, and they were powerless in his presence. Jesus wasn't in the same spirit as the disciples. So, the, the disciples were first wanting to be the best. They thought they were the best. Each one of them thought they should rule. They all thought there was a new kingdom coming up. They all thought they were going to rule over the Romans and everyone else. And Jesus, where was his spirit? What was he thinking about? What was he thinking about? Talk to me. He was thinking about exactly the hurt. He was seeing Jerusalem when those, you know, when the Romans would come in and destroy it. He was seeing the big picture and he was also thinking about his own death. Think about it. Isaiah 53 said he was a man of sorrows. Why? Because from the age he I don't know exactly the age, but I know that when he went to the temple at 12 years old, he put it all together. I am that lamb. Can you imagine as a little boy thinking about your death coming up? You're thinking about soccer and basketball and football and all these things and girls at 13 years old. You're not thinking about what? Your death coming soon. And the fact that you are there for a purpose and your purpose is to die. Wow. That's where his spirits were. There he was. 
He knew he would, it would be his last Passover. He had celebrated the Passover for 33 years. Now he would die as the Lamb of God. The day the Passover was eaten, Jesus would be sacrificed. Pain was torturing his heart. Jesus knew he would be betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, and deserted by the what? Rest of them. Remember Zechariah said that. He knew all the prophecies. He knew that they would desert him all. That all of them would desert him. He would be tortured on the cross. He would be treated as the worst criminal. Do you know that when they crucified Jesus, they put him right in the middle? Do you know why? Because they wanted to show the world that he was the worst one of the three. There, was murder, there were murders on his side, but yet he was the worst one. So he took the pain. He took the hurt of you and me. He took the person that is, he took the sin of the rapist. Think about that. He took the sin of a murderer. He took the sin of a pedophile. He took the sin of the worst person that you could ever imagine. He took our sin. He took our sin. All the guilt. Do you ever deal with guilt? Come on. Am I the only one that deals with guilt? Do you ever deal with guilt? I deal with guilt every day with food. Much less other bigger things. Do you deal with guilt? How many of you deal with shame? Don't raise your hand. But I know there's someone here that deals with shame. Do you know that Jesus took everyone's shame? That's why he was dying. He was dying of a broken heart because he was taking everybody's shame. He was taking everybody's guilt. Did he deserve it? No. He was taking on the sin of the world. But I think what really crushed Jesus was knowing, and this is in the Desire of Ages, this chapter, knowing that the ones that he created were going to yell, crucify him, crucify him. The ones that he had given life were going to reject him. And they were going to later even accept his salvation. And even one of his own, even one of his own, who would that person be? Judas would reject him. The disciples assumed something was wrong with Jesus. Come on. They were men. They knew something was wrong. But their concerns were greater than his concern. Have you ever noticed that about children? Do you know when I was a school teacher, I was a seventh, eighth grade teacher. That prepared me for all wars. I taught school. And some days I'd come to school, I mean, and it was very rare that I was sick, but I'd come to school and I'd say, you know what? You know, I love you. You guys act like you love me just today, man. Be easy. You know, and they'd all agree at the beginning of the day. I'll teach you how we love you. We'll be just great today. They were the worst that day than they'd ever been. Right? Because again, they were seen right here. And Jesus was dealing with the cross and they were dealing with who was going to be first. Okay? That's where they were. They were into themselves. They stared at each other with jealousy, and once again a fight arose who would be the greatest. This contention wounded Jesus. Do you know why? Because 
We are his children. Have you noticed that when your children fight, it hurts you? When my Matthew and my Mark fight with each other, even verbally, it hurts me. It hurts their mother. When they fight physically, it even hurts us more. I'm glad they're at the age where they don't pound each other anymore, and I hope they never will get in that kind of a fight. But it hurts us when our children fight. And it hurt Jesus when the disciples were fighting. Get the picture? They were hurting him. Judas wanted to be first. He was this traitor. He was the one already playing both sides. He was playing both sides. At the feast, it was customary for a servant to wash the feet of the guests. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When you came into a room in Jesus' time, when you came to eat, there was always a servant ready there to wash the people's feet. They had a role. It wasn't a role that was looked at as a good role. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the bottom of the people's ladder. Does that make sense? We, we're not going to say it this morning, but we know jobs that we would never want to do. Each one of you knows a job you would never want to do because it's beneath you. Right? This servant who washed everybody's feet, he was the bottom of the totem pole, man. He's talking, you're talking about washing people's feet that are ugly, nasty, smelly. And only a servant, a slave would do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they got to the room, they walked in, they, got come, in, they come in to the room, and there's no servant. So they're like, oh, well, who's going to wash the feet? I'm not going to wash the feet. I'm going to be one of the rulers of this kingdom. I'm cool. I I'm not going to do that. And each one of them in their minds is thinking that. Who's going to wash the feet? Because it's something that they did every day. In those days, there were no roads like we have today. They got their feet dirty every day. Get the picture? So here they're thinking, who's going to wash the feet? None of them are going to step up to bat, man. There is no way. Because if the one steps up to bat, then you know where he's in the kingdom. Yeah, he's not going to be one of the rulers of the kingdom, right? So they're waiting. And all of a sudden, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, gets up. And he washes their feet. Think about what they're thinking in their minds. Judas, just think what he's thinking. He's already gone to the high priest. He's already set up a plan in his mind. He's already acted on the plan. And now the very one that he is betraying. Maybe you're in that position in your life where you're betraying someone. He's, Jesus is coming down. He's washing his feet, Judas' feet. Judas, at that moment, Sister White says, has an overwhelming feeling of wanting to confess and to accept Jesus. He feels the Holy Spirit. There's something overcoming him, and he, and he wants to do it, and he wants to say, Lord, Savior, but he just can't. He can't. Why? Because of pride. Because of pride. He cannot surrender himself. It was Peter at the, in the boat that said, you're God, and he worshiped him. But Judas at that very moment then has another thought, and it's evil. And you know what his thought is? If this guy is washing my feet, how can he be the next ruler of Israel? 
And right there, he decides that he's going to go do what he's planned to do. And he leaves. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Now, what's interesting is, is that Jesus came down and he washed their feet. They wouldn't. But guess what? There was someone that had. Who was that? Who had washed Jesus' feet? Mary Magdalene. And what was she called? A harlot. The worst of what? Sinners. But yet she had laid down everything and washed his feet. In fact, she'd opened up her her hair and that was the sign of a woman of the street because she let her hair out and she washed the feet of Jesus. Showing us a great, great truth. The more you realize you're a sinner, the more humble you become. Then Jesus took his robe off. They all looked at him with unease and anxiety. Then he washed their feet one by one. All of heaven, just think about this. All of heaven, all the universe, all the angels. God's enemy with all his angels saw what he did. All the universe saw what Jesus did. This act opened the disciples' eyes. Shame and humiliation filled their hearts. They knew it should have been them to wash his feet. They had been with him over three years. He was superior. He was faultless. He was perfect. He had saved them on the lake. Now they knew how ungrateful they really were. And this is precisely what happens when we see Jesus. We see our own selfishness. We stop looking at others' sin and we see our own condition. We see how much he has done for us. Judas mingled with everyone as though he had done nothing. The disciples knew nothing. Jesus knew his secret and he didn't expose him. You and I in a New York minute would have screamed out his intention and his betrayal. Yet Christ, instead of exposing him, wept for him. Jesus said, how can I give thee up to give thee up to Satan? He does it for all of us. Judas felt the Holy Spirit as Jesus washed his feet, but yet he rejected it. He hardened his heart towards repentance. His selfish heart controlled him. And now Jesus, Judas was offended, just like I said. And he went out and he did what he did. Judas was a genius. Judas was the genius. He was the smart one. The other disciples looked up to him. Yet he was the one with the demon. Judas had placed himself first and Jesus served him first. When Jesus got to Peter, Peter said, How can you wash my feet? This is where... Richard, you were talking about your, with your son last week. How can you wash my feet? You're too good. He couldn't see Jesus as a servant. Peter said, thou shalt never wash my feet. He was telling Jesus what to do. Jesus said, you have to let me or you won't be in my kingdom. Jesus said, you must never tell me what to do. You must surrender to me. This, this, this might resonate with some of you. Because you have a hard time surrendering. You get it? Some of us want to do it our way. And here Jesus is telling Peter, no. 
You must surrender to me. Peter surrendered his pride and self-will and said, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. In Jesus' day, people walked on the dirt and feet needed cleansing. They felt, they felt needed to be washed every day. Those feet needed to be washed every day. Christ had come to wash their hearts and remove the stain from sin. Our hearts need cleansing. Every day, my heart needs to be cleansed. My heart, I'm going to share it with you right now. This is, this is wide open. My heart is dirty. My heart is dirty. I don't know about yours, but my heart is dirty. Every day I need cleansing. Every day I need his cleansing grace. Every day. Now the rest of the story. I'm almost done. Let's see what time it is. 12.10, okay. It reminds me of my uncle's church in the Dominican Republic. He just got there. And they, they, he asked, well, how long should I preach? And they told him, you can preach as long as you want. He's like, wow, that's great. And then they said, but at 12 o'clock, we're out of here. <laughs> so I don't know if that's what you were trying to tell me, Justin. Jonathan, your brother's Justin. I'll get it together, brother. Now the rest of the story. We're almost getting done here. The principle, and I want you to think about the politics going on in our country, whether you're a Democrat, liberal, or independent. The principle of supremacy has no place in the kingdom of God. Do, do, do I need to say that again? Because I heard one amen up here. Amen. Okay. The principle a supremacy has no place in the kingdom of God. When Jesus washed their feet, he desired by this very act to wash their prejudice, their pride, and their jealousy from their hearts. The disciples had a bad spirit and they couldn't have communion with Christ until, until they were brought into a state of humility. Do you know that my grandfather was a sheriff. There's a book written about his life in the Adventist Church. It's called The Three Angels Over Rancho Grande. It's out of print now, but it's been the junior guide. And the story about my grandfather. My grandfather was from New Mexico. My grandfather was Spanish. He didn't like Mexicans, even though I feel like we're Mexicans. We eat the same thing. We're just on this side of the boundary. He didn't like Mexicans because they had hurt his brother. Okay, almost killed him. And he didn't like white men from Texas because those were the outlaws that he had to deal with and arrest them and put them in jail. He hated them. Absolutely hated them. He had a prejudice you cannot believe. He saw a white man, he wanted to kill him. He saw a Mexican, he wanted to kill him. And do you know that my grandfather gave his life to Jesus and the first time he washed feet, he washed a white man's feet. And you know what he told him? It was the pastor, Pastor Skadson. He said, you know what? Before this, I would have wanted to kill you. And now I just want to cry with you. That's what Jesus does to our hearts. Their hearts had to be cleansed of pride and self-seeking, for it was creating dissension. And pride will do this to our church, 
our little young church, we're starting now to have a, a nominating committee and we're trying to decide who's going to be an elder and who's going to be a deacon and who's going to be a Sabbath school teacher. And if we just let pride come in the way it can come in and the way the enemy wants it to come in, it will destroy our church. And there's a lot of great things happening. So remember, it's not about our titles. It's about Jesus and how he sees us. Amen? Amen. And pride will do the same thing in our church. There's only one way our church will be in union with Christ. We must let go of our pride and our self-seeking. In that room, change of feelings were brought about when they saw Jesus, their Savior, on his knees. Not wanting to rule, but to serve. There was a union of heart, a love for one another. They stopped wanting to be first. Did you know that? She says that. Sister White says they realized when Jesus washed their feet, they all stopped wanting to be first. That's pretty awesome. Often with contact with the evil, the heart's purity is soiled. Our heart is dirty. We must come to Jesus for his clean, cleansing grace. I wash clothes. I'm, I'm, I got one little bit here, paragraph. I wash clothes in our house. Amen, honey. Okay. I wash clothes in our house. I'm going to say that again, baby. I wash clothes in our house. And there is a difference between clean clothes and dirty clothes. When Mark's clothes come in after a soccer game, those are some nasty clothes. Okay. I'm going like this with them into the wash. Right? Jesus washes our heart every day. Isn't that cool? He washes our heart every day. Every day when we read our Bibles, it leads us to confess our sin. And he washes us again. How grievous to Jesus is our evil tempers. Some of you have some evil tempers. Our vanity. Ooh, baby, I'm vain. Man, I like to look nice. I look at myself in the mirror. There's a bathroom downstairs that I look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> you know? Maybe not Brad Pitt. Who's the, the good-looking older guy? No. Oh, well, I can relate to that because he's Hispanic. I like that. No, no, no. The one that... Um, George Clooney. George Clooney. I look in that mirror, man, I think, man, I got some George Clooney going stuff going on. And then, and then I see my Facebook and I look disgusting. You know? I see the truth. Vanity. Some of you ladies can understand what this vanity is all about. Our pride. We must bring all our sickness to Jesus. All of us must bring our sickness to Jesus. He alone can wash us clean. 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? I know you know it. You're a man of God. What does it say? For he is just, yeah, he knew it. What does it say? All of you. What does it say? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, say it, brother. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad you did it because I would have stumbled right through it. Awesome. What a text. This is what it's talking about. We come to Jesus and he cleanses from all our unrighteousness. It doesn't say that we stay dirty. It says that he cleans us. He cleans us. We don't do it. He does it. He alone can wash us clean. 
while the disciples were fighting, he to whom every knee shall bow fell and washed the feet of those who called him Lord. He even washed the feet of his betrayer. What an example forever, not only to the disciples, but to us. What a king, what a Lord. Does anyone have the closing? Okay, I guess I'll close. Okay, I don't know if we, this is the man in me. I, I'm not very observant. So I don't know if we close with the closing song. How long have I been here? Or do we close with the prayer? You know, okay. We close with the prayer or we close with um, singing um, really loud. Should we do that? Okay. Um, so let's close with this song, and I think it goes with the service, and that is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, okay? Let's sing that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, I pray that you will wash our hearts on this Sabbath day. Help it to be a Sabbath that we know we are cleansed because of the righteous blood of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I lift a name up to you today, and that is Benji. I know that he is struggling to have his light shine. I know the enemy is going to do everything to discourage him. I know that the enemy is going to do everything to let him think that he is not good enough or that he has too many things going on in his own personal life that he should just stand up for what is right. And Father, I praise you that he did this last night. And I praise you that he did that today. And I, I pray that you will be with him. Father, I know that he's there just as Daniel was in his, that king's court. I know you have a special plan for Benji. And so I pray that your holy angels might watch over him and protect him, just as they did Daniel when he was in that lion's den. And Father, I thank you for Reuben's cousin that is doing better. I praise you for that. He's getting stronger, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this church. And we ask now as we leave this place that we will look each other with more grace than we ever did before. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God be with you.